little Christmas tree on the table back there uh, at the window. You can see the ornaments that the kids made, and uh, they're really quite good. Look at each one of those. Uh, we have our church decorated for the Christmas season. Uh, much thanks to uh, Sharon and uh, Stephanie for helping with that, and it uh, looks really, really nice. Turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we are continuing our study in this gospel. Reading through verse 6. Now there was a man of the, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, last week we began this passage with a background and a sort of a historical setting uh, on this person Nicodemus and the sect of the Pharisees that he was a part of. Nicodemus was not, it appears that Nicodemus was not a belligerent or hateful man. Like many of the Pharisees, were constantly trying to trip Jesus up, accusing him of various things and and uh, just hateful, hateful things that they did to the Lord. In fact, it seems as though Jesus, he comes to Jesus with three forms of recognition. <coughs> He came first with the utmost respect. We know that because he calls Jesus by the title Rabbi. Rabbi, which was a title that Nicodemus himself possessed. The word Rabbi just simply means teacher. But it is is a term that speaks of one who instructs others from the law of Moses or from the scriptures. It is a translation of the Greek word rabbi, rabbi. It was a title of respect and honor. Nicodemus recognized that Jesus was a teacher, even though he, that Jesus had not been formally trained as a rabbi. Jesus uses the same word in verse 10 to speak of Nicodemus as a Rabbi. The word 
Teacher is a different word. It is the word didaskalos. In the Greek, it, it means one who instructs others. A teacher, an instructor in spiritual matters. This word is used throughout the New Testament. It's used outside of the, the Gospels many times. But the word rabbi is not used outside of the Gospel of John. They were teachers of the Jewish law. But the other word, teacher, is used many times. And I've given you a few, just a few instances of it in your notes. So he came with the utmost respect. Second, he came with sincere appreciation for Jesus. Sincere appreciation. Now, it may not have been appreciation for Jesus as a personality, but it was certainly appreciation for his works and for Jesus' teachings. We must remember, however, that sincerity is not the same as saving grace or saving faith. There are many people who believe the facts about Jesus but do not have saving faith in Him. Of the 58 occurrences of this word, the simple fact is that He calls Him rabbi does not indicate that He had faith in Him. It was only a sincere admiration for his teachings. We see in Matthew chapter 26 an example of this where Judas, who betrayed Jesus, who certainly was uh, an enemy amidst the camp, used this same word to show a sign of respect to Jesus because when at the last Supper there, the Passover, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. Matthew 26 verse 25 says, Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? Sign of respect. Even, even when he came after he'd been, after Satan had entered into Judas, and Judas betrayed the Lord, and he brought the soldiers to find him in the garden. Approaching, he said, He called him rabbi. All those that came to Jesus calling him teacher. Not all those were sincere like Nicodemus was. But sincerity is not the same as saving faith. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, writes, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say, he says. A man who was merely a, a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be a devil of hell. 
You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You cannot shut him up for a fool. You can spit in his face. You can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. Jesus wasn't a great human teacher. Jesus was the God-man. God teaching men in the flesh. Jesus did not leave that open to us and he didn't intend to. Third, not only did Nicodemus come with the utmost respect and a sincere appreciation for his teachings, but he also came with a recognition of his divine power. We know that no one can do. There's your key words. No one can do. Nicodemus used the negative reference to works that Jesus was doing. No one can do these things. It is a present tense verb. This word do. What is he saying? He is saying no one can be doing the things you're doing. Unless God is with him. In other words, Nicodemus was admitting that Jesus had supernatural power that came from God. He believed that much, at least. But that is not enough. You can go out all day and ask people, what do they think about Jesus? And they'll tell you all kinds of things. Yeah, it was a great... He was a great teacher, he was a great miracle, he was a miracle worker, uh, he was a great man, he was a great prophet. But all those things fall short of being God in the flesh. So what did Jesus do? Well, you would think, what would I do? I would seek to defend myself. I would seek to, to say, now hold on a minute. I've done this, 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 and this, and that and that and Jesus didn't do any of those things. Jesus didn't even he didn't even answer his question. He didn't even speak about himself. He cut straight to the heart of the matter. Jesus answered him, "Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Jesus takes over the conversation and dominates the conversation. And as it should be, the conversation turns heavenly. All of our conversations at some point with the unbelieving world should turn heavenly. Answer people's objections about spiritual matters with the truth of Scripture and Send it heavenward. One writer says their dialogue evolves into a messianic monologue. Jesus begins by assuring Nicodemus that he is saying the absolute truth. Those words, truly, truly, are very familiar term to us. It's the word amen or amen. Whichever you prefer. 
And it's a transliteration of the Greek word, amen. It means, it is and so it shall be. Or let it be so. In other words, let the truth come out. Let it be what it is. This word appears only in John's gospel and is an assurance of a solemn affirmation of what is to follow. So it's like if you're in a conversation with someone and you you get the idea they're doubting what you say. You say, now listen to me. I'm telling you the truth. This is the honest truth. And then you say what you've got to say. That's what Jesus is doing here. He is, he is collecting the attention of Nicodemus to these spiritual matters and he is telling him that which is absolute truth. And because it comes from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is, it is objective truth. This is not subjective reasoning. These are the words of the Father through the Son. To Nicodemus and consequently to you and I. Jesus' answer to Nicodemus was one that resonates throughout the ages. It is the answer to man's sin problem. It was an answer without a question. Jesus does not attempt to explain how or why he does the signs and wonders that he does. An argument or a debate would not be helpful. They seldom are. Simply stating the truth. Jesus knew the man's heart. He knew what he needed. And he knows what you and I need. So he cut straight to the issue. Which was sin. The sin problem. So here's a man like so many others who had spent his life working and, and trying to please God. And yet he did not have the ability or the will to accomplish those things. What a sad commentary on religion. That one can work their whole life in religion. Doing good. Trying to make points with God and end up in hell. Greatest need of every individual on earth that has been born once is to be born twice. Born once, you die twice. Born twice, you die once. So this is heavenly language and it speaks that which only comes from God. And that's why Jesus goes straight to the heart of the matter. Now notice what he says. Notice what he says here in verse 3. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see. Jesus said... 
that those who did not meet the requirement could not see the kingdom of God. Now that words, those words cannot see have a double meaning. To see something can mean to look at it, to visualize it. But that's not what it means here. This is this word has a double meaning. He is not saying that these people who are unless they're born again will not have some be able to have some visual aspect of heaven. It means they would not enter heaven. They would not be able to enter. The kingdom of God is a term that has been rather misinterpreted in many ways and sometimes uh, sometimes explained wrongly. If I gave a general definition, the kingdom of God is God's sovereign rule over all of his creation. And that covers everything. However, there are three basic representations of God's kingdom as found in Scripture. First, there is the internal, invisible kingdom. This is the kingdom of God that resides in the hearts of God's people, God's redeemed people. It is there by His grace through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, as Romans 10 tells us. If you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. The Spirit of God enters. It's invisible. You can't see it. You can't look at people and see that they're in the kingdom. It's an invisible thing. You can discern it by their actions or lack thereof. But it is an invisible kingdom. This kingdom exists in present time between Christ's first and second comings. Second is the external visible millennial kingdom which is the kingdom known as the Millennial Kingdom, where Christ reigns on the earth for a thousand years, as taught in in Isaiah chapter 9 and Revelation chapter 20. And there are other passages as well. I just gave you a couple of them. Where it literally says that Christ will rule and reign for 1,000 years. This kingdom takes place after the second coming of Christ. Third is the external, visible, eternal kingdom. The eternal kingdom is sometimes called the eternal state. It is the time of glorification. The kingdom in which all God's redeemed people of all time will dwell with glorified bodies to live with Christ forever. No more sin. No more sickness. No more disease. No more diversions of the flesh, for it will all be glorified and in eternity, future. The overarching 
sovereign rule of God over all of his creation encompasses these three kingdoms. So when Jesus said to him, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What is he talking about? He's talking about this this invisible internal kingdom. You cannot, Nicodemus, you cannot be a part of God's people. You cannot enter into that kingdom Unless you're born again. And so it specifically refers to those who are born again. And one day will enter heaven as their eternal home. It is the kingdom of salvation. The salvation in Christ. Now what does it mean to be born again? I remember years ago when my wife and I and our family moved to Greenville, South Carolina. We lived in a little apartment in this sort of dilapidated, rundown house. And um, the people that we rented it from lived right next door. First thing, first thing the guy said to me, he said, you're one of them born agains, are you? And I said, well, if you mean, am I a Christian? Yes. That's all he knew to call them, born-agains. It's not a bad thing. But here's what that tells you. It tells you that that term, born-again, is sorely misunderstood. So what does it mean? Well, Jesus plainly says that without it, no one enters God's kingdom. That is, no one has eternal life or salvation or heaven unless they're born again. So the words born again are from two Greek words that are very similar in meaning. The two words, genao anothen, genao and the word anothen are very close and they work together to define what it means to be born again. Now the word genao has the idea of being the parent of someone. Specifically, of fathering someone. It is equal to conceiving a new life, but that life is of heavenly paternal source. Our world has gone so crazy that people think they can people think they can actually extend the population without men and women being together. Can you believe that? How ridiculous. And yet, this is exactly what this text is talking about. It is talking about God being the father of those who have this new life of birth. The second word, anathen, means to be conceived or generated from above with a new life source. So they're very close 
But together they speak of of the new birth as a regeneration. That's why we call the new birth regeneration. It's something that happens that has not yet happened. A birth that has not yet taken place. In the physical realm, we can see that people are expecting by the growth of the child in the mother. But we believe that that life began at the moment of conception. It was conceived in the womb. And therefore became a human being. Translate that over to the physical realm. And we have regeneration. So it could be translated like this. Verse 3. Truly, truly, or I am telling you the truth. I say to you, unless one is born anew from above. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. A new from above. It has to be a new birth. One that has not yet taken place, but takes place by the power of the Father in heaven. Through the Spirit of Christ. Now the word anothen, that second word, born again, is used by both James and John, to speak of that which originates in heaven. Listen to these verses. John, Well, turn. John chapter 3, verse 31. He who comes from above, there you are, above is above all. He who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who is from heaven is above all. So he's connecting the word anothen, Above, with heaven. John, John chapter 19, verse 11. <clears throat> Jesus speaks to Pilate and says, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. That is, from the Father in heaven. James chapter 1 verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the who? Father of lights. So now God the Father who is above is sending down these perfect gifts. James 3.15. This is not the wisdom that comes Down from above, speaking of earthly wisdom that is evil and sensual and demonic. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, merciful, good fruits, impartial, sincere. So these these things come down from heaven. This conception... Of new life that comes down from heaven to the sinner whose life, whose spiritual life does not exist. Listen carefully. The unbelieving world does not have spiritual life. It does not exist. 
Now, there are those that teach that it's there. It's just been suppressed. There's a little flame flicker, you know, sort of like a pilot on a on a gas stove. It's just a little bitty flame burning, and it just needs to be ignited. That's not true. The pilot light is not there. It's it's not burning. It doesn't exist. And a supernatural birth or conception of creation has to take place. This is the new life then that God grants to the sinner. It is eternal in nature and makes the sinner a child of God. Turn back one page to John chapter 1. Look at verses 12 and 13. Just as a little refresher, it's beautiful how John ties all these things together. We're using the same kind of language, but in a different way. Notice verse 12. But to all who did receive him, what does it mean to receive him? It means to believe in his name. Believing is receiving. To them, he gave the right. Notice the word. To become. This is the verb form of the same word born again in verse 3 of chapter 3. To become children of God. Who were born, or more literally, who were fathered. Who were fathered not by blood. Or the will of the flesh or the will of man. But fathered by God. It is obvious from the text that Nicodemus knew that Jesus, what Jesus was talking about. He knew that he was talking about conception and childbirth. Because that's what he refers to in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That statement clearly says that he he understands that Jesus is talking about conception and childbirth. Can he be conceived again in his mother's womb when he's old? Here is human reasoning at work. Nicodemus is thinking. He's thinking, how can this be? A man can't go backwards and enter into his mother's womb a second time. I don't understand this. What are you saying to me? He understood human reproduction and childbirth naturally, but he did not understand Spiritual birth. Physical impossibility for someone old to enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born. That's that's a given. Jesus knew that Nicodemus didn't understand the spiritual concept of regeneration. And no unbeliever does. You don't need to explain regeneration to an unbeliever. You just need to give them the gospel. Regeneration is God's business. Just need to give them the gospel. 
Let the gospel do the work. The gospel is what regenerates people. In fact, the new birth, salvation, and preaching of the gospel are utter foolishness to the unbelieving. Paul says it clearly. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to them. Jesus' words to Nicodemus speak of man's inability of humanly exercising any effort to save themselves. We know you're a teacher come from God. Nobody can do the things you're doing except God is with him. I'm telling you, if you're not born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Wow, what a stark change in subject matter. If I were saying something to you and you said it to me, I'd say, are you listening to what I'm saying? Are you getting what I'm saying to you? Because you just changed the subject. Yeah, he did change the subject. Jesus' words confounds the natural wisdom of man and leaves him helpless for any true relationship with God. Linsky, the Bible commentator, writes this. Jesus' words regarding the new birth shatters once for all every supposed excellence of man's attainment. All merit of human deeds. All prerogatives of natural birth or station. Spiritual birth is something one undergoes, not something one produces. As an effort... As our efforts had nothing to do with our natural conception and birth, so in an analogous way, but on a far higher plane, regeneration is not a work of ours. You didn't have anything to do with your birth. Nothing. You were just conceived and born. You're the product of someone else's Deeds. What a blow this must have been for Nicodemus. His being a Jew gave him no part in the kingdom. His being a Pharisee, esteemed holier than other people, availed him nothing. His membership in the Sanhedrin and his fame as one of the scribes meant nothing. This rabbi from Galilee calmly tells him that he is not yet in the kingdom. All on on which he had built his hopes throughout a long, arduous life, here sank into ruin and became a little worthless heap of ashes. And that's how everyone has to come into the kingdom. A little heap of ashes clinging to nothing of our own. The gate is narrow. The way is narrow. You can't get through the gate unless you drop everything behind and go in with Christ alone. How could Nicodemus, how could he start all over and go back to the beginning? Well, he obviously wanted to be in God's kingdom. I think he was sincere in that. But he 
But Jesus was asking something humanly impossible and he couldn't understand it. This was Jesus' way of telling him and that God's way of salvation is not a matter of adding to what already exists. Being saved is not adding to something. It's starting over, starting new with something that you didn't have before. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17, we all know it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, what? New creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. That's where we usually stop when we're quoting that verse. But verse 18 has to go with it. Verse 18 says, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. If you stop short just on verse 17, you miss the point of verse 17. The point of verse 17 is that this is God's work. It is a sovereign act that only God can produce. Only God can conceive new life, spiritual life, in one that does not have it. Nicodemus would have to denounce his religious self-righteousness. He would have to denounce his rank and station among the Jews. And he would have to humble himself as one who had nothing to bring to God for acceptance. And that's the way everyone has to come. Everyone. I tell people, you'll never be saved until you come to the end of yourself. And God has a way of bringing people to the end of themselves. For some, it's sickness. For some, it's tragedy. For some, it's just the weight of their guilt and their sin. You have to leave everything behind. This is what the Apostle Paul did on the road to Damascus when he met the Lord. He tells about what he did in Philippians chapter 3. This is what he says. I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything's loss. Everything. I give it all up. I leave it all behind to know Christ. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish. They're only worth throwing away to have Christ. And that includes life, it's physical life here itself. So to be born again is not a simple choice to make. For dead men make no choices. It is not a fresh commitment of one's prior choices. Being born again is not moving or a moving or emotional experience. Something you feel. I've had people say to me, I don't care what the Bible says. I know what I experienced. I know what I felt. Hmm. 
That's a pretty bold statement to make. I don't care what the Bible says. Being born again is not a change of opinion, some ethical change of higher principles. It is not a consequence of baptism or any kind of recognition of uh, baptism that would cancel out sin. Baptism doesn't save anyone. Never has, it never will. It is not the result of some confirmation or some kind of community Church membership or outward displays of religion or or ritual. Being born again is not even an acceptance of basic acceptance of the Bible. You talk to people all day long who don't know Christ, but they'll say they believe the Bible. Or believe in the Bible. The new birth is a supernatural, sovereign work of the Holy Spirit of God, which is performed in the life of the sinner, whereby the sinner is given a new heart, brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, and is made able and willing to repent of his sin before God and trust Christ alone as his Lord and his Savior. That's the new birth. Jesus saw the confusion in Nicodemus' mind and in his heart. And so, he goes a step further in verse 5 to explain it a little more clearly. Truly, truly. I say to you, I'm telling you the truth. Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now he uses some different terms. Terms which need explicit explanation, which I am not able to give you today. So that's next week's sermon. Let me say this to you, that the world, what the world desperately needs more than anything else is not a a free-flowing supply chain or a government with moral excellence. What the world needs most desperately is a new birth to be born from above with new life that's in Christ. That's what the world needs. That's what you and I need. And I pray that we would remember that as we converse with people and family and friends who do not know him. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for this Lord's Day and for the opportunity to come once again to this church building and together sing praises to your name and to to minister the word and to encourage each other and, Lord, to just make much of you and the work that you have done 
in salvation and bringing salvation to lost sinners like us. Truly, we don't deserve any of your goodness. It is only by grace, through faith in Christ, your gifts given to us, that we are made fit for heaven. We have been born again by the word of God and by the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that we would give you the praise and the honor due to your name as a result. Bless this day, this week, as we live in the the light of your word and of your kingdom, that kingdom that exists in the hearts of all who know you and are redeemed by you. We give you glory and praise for you are worthy to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.